This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynn. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And nothing bigger than big new arenas. Later on, we're going to talk with Oakview Group CEO Tim Laiwiki. He is the developer of that big new complex not too far from us here in New York City over in Belmont. Lots to talk about there. But first, let's talk a lot, if we can, or at least a little bit, because we don't know that much about what's going on in sports right now, guys. And I'll just set the table by saying we're recording this on Friday morning. The situation, it feels like, in every major sport, but especially in baseball, Mike Lynch, it's fluid. It's fluid, and I think the theme song for the year 2020 is No End in Sight. And every single day we get together, something has changed, and fluid is the word of the day as well. Major League Baseball continues to have problems with players testing positive, and one of the disturbing signs here is this is the first time that someone west of the East Coast has actually tested positive. It had been really pretty much restricted to Miami and Philadelphia area, and now St. Louis Cardinals uh, have had some positive tests postponing um, uh, one of their games this weekend. So, Michael Barr, are we going to finish this season? What's your prediction? I, I hate I, – I was very positive thinking that we were going to have a, a season, but I, I'm seeing it now. It looks like all hell is breaking loose. I mean, it's – and like Mike said, now we're seeing something on the West Coast uh, with the Cardinals. Uh, I mean, I don't see how in the world this is going to happen. I think, what, we have at least six teams involved where they have to uh, cancel. They were supposed to play each other, and they've canceled games right now. And uh, that's as of right now on Friday morning. Right. We don't know how that's going to change over the next 24 hours. And as Mike Lynch alluded to, you know, I feel like every day, even right after we get off from talking to each other, uh, there's some news, there's some tweet, there's some report. Uh, and this is extending, I think, this uncertainty beyond baseball into college sports. And certainly it feels like the thing that is looming, looming, looming out there is pro football. We don't have a lot of information at this point. Uh, Roger Goodell, as he traditionally is, pretty tight-lipped about this. But if baseball can't figure this out, it's hard to see how college sports and pro football happen in any meaningful way, Mike Lynch. Well, they have the luxury of the calendar so far that the other sports didn't have because they haven't been directly impacted. But as we cross each day off the calendar and we're approaching uh, August is coming up, uh, teams are reporting to camps. The Buffalo Bills sent a bunch of rookies home. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings have some positive tests. And as players begin to trickle in, remember the two sports that are not involved in the bubble are Major League Baseball and the National Football League. The other teams that are in the bubble, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Soccer, and the WNBA, knock on wood, the bubble's working for them. 
without the bubble, it doesn't. It, it's not working for baseball, and I don't see how it's going to work for football. Well, I got to tell you guys, I had a very, very nice evening to myself last night, sitting on my couch watching the better part of two NBA games. And I have to say, both games, they were decided by a basket. LeBron James hitting the winning shot to beat the Clippers in the second half of the doubleheader. You know, those are the top two teams in the West, and this is all about seeding at this point. I got to say, from a fan's perspective, and even from a business person's perspective, Michael Barr, I don't know if you watched, but the games, they look good. Oh, yeah. The product is very good out there for the NBA. Uh, and and like we were talking about earlier, they're in the bubble. And yeah. I really want to see how this is going to take place. The irony is, I think, for the uh, – for the, was it the Utah Jazz? That uh, they won yeah. their game. And uh, Rudy Gobert. He scored the first basket. Yep. <laughs> now, the irony of that, and anybody that's not familiar with it, uh, he was the one that kind of poo-pooed the idea about the coronavirus at the beginning, and he was touching all the mics and touching everybody's locker and all this, and then he came down with the virus, and he had to apologize. Uh, but Well, it, and not only that, I should add, I mean, it was his positive test that basically – deferred the season that's right right I mean that was the game they canceled the game and then within I believe 24 hours maybe less the NBA was suspended I mean that that fateful March 11th that Mm. everybody goes back to which seems to be the day that we will all remember in some ways where we realized oh this is serious like the world is shutting down and we have problems I mean in college sports now there's chatter that the Big Ten it, they, first, they were going to just uh, uh, limit travel and, and keep right. it and keep it in conference. Now, uh, there's talk we might not play anything in the Big Ten this season. Uh, this is a mess. Yeah, we uh, the ACC uh, made a deal earlier this week. They invited Notre Dame to come in and uh, just follow the money on that one because Notre Dame has their own deal with NBC where they get $15 million a year. And as part of this deal with the ACC, they're going to share that money, which is unthinkable for Notre Dame to share any of their home uh, proceeds from that private deal with the ACC. And the ACC gets has a deal with ABC where they get $240 million a year. So, you know, it's kind of the devil is on one shoulder and the, there's an angel on your other shoulder. And you know, which one are you listening to? Do you, do, you, do you go for the money with it in, in the temptation or do you go smart right here? And, again, the ACC is not going to start until, I think, mid uh, – they're starting September 12th. The SEC is not starting until September 26th. So, again, they still have about six weeks before they can go right up to the 11th hour and say, we're not playing. Well, and I would imagine, you know, again, thinking from a business perspective, I mean, cut the deal, right? I mean, make the deal, and then if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. But certainly, uh, there's maybe an undue level of optimism. So let's end up our little chat talking about probably, I think I can say, one of our favorite stories of the week, in part because it's a happy story, and in part because it crosses two sports. What do you do when you have a contract that could pay you half a billion dollars and your name is Patrick Mahomes? Mike Lynch, you put it great earlier in the week. You walk across the street and you buy a part of the baseball team. <laughs> yeah, you walk right out of Arrowhead Stadium and go across the parking lot. You're right, right into Kauffman Stadium, which uh, they're adjacent to each other right on I-70 and out in, uh, in Kansas City. And you say, you know what? I was drafted by the Tigers in 2014. My dad played Major League Baseball. I want a piece of this action. So you know what? Rather than putting the money in the uh, old Kansas City savings and loan, 
I'm going to buy a piece of the Kansas City Royals. And that's exactly what Patrick Mahomes did. Pretty good. And I was trying to think, racking my brain, uh, what active players actually own part of another professional team. And I could come up with Serena and, and, and Venus Williams, part owners of the Miami Dolphins. And I would note LeBron James, an owner of Liverpool FC over in the English Premiership. So a transatlantic deal there, but a successful one, given that uh, Liverpool, I believe, won the Premiership Championship. Uh, I love the cross-sport nature of this, too, Michael Barr. And, you know, this is a young guy with a lot of ambition, not just on the field, but as a business person. You know what I love, too, is that he just said uh, to Kansas City, yep. I'm here. You all know I'm here. So right. I'm not going anywhere. And I and I like that. And I think it's a wise move. Uh, this young man is obviously he is uh, the cream of the crop for the NFL. And uh, he, he can he can be a powerhouse as this goes along. I, I, I have nothing but accolades for him. It's interesting to – I'm glad you brought that up because it's interesting to note the investment in his own city in many ways. Now, obviously, given this massive contract that, that he just signed, he's with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs for a while. But that probably didn't guarantee that if he was going to make this deal, he would make it with the local team. feels like he's a Kansas City guy now, for sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, again, it's like it. I think wasn't didn't he go out one time that he went out to a, a dinner and everybody knew it was Patrick Mahomes and and his uh, lady they were there, and he complimented everybody before he left and said that uh, thank you for not disturbing us and then paid for everybody's meal as wow. he walked out the door. <laughs> there so, you go. I think that's cool. Today, we're speaking with Oakview Group CEO, Tim Lywicki. And Tim, really good to have you with us. You're joining us from Colorado. And as you pointed out before we came onto the show, you got to be sort of geographically flexible here amid everything that's going on. You've been spending a lot of time uh, in New York, not surprisingly, specifically on Long Island, specifically at a soon-to-be-opened arena. Tell us about what's going on with the new UBS Arena. So this arena, the new UBS arena, is one of six new arenas our company's building around the world. In New York, what makes it an interesting challenge, but but certainly an opportunity, we believe, is that uh, there are four other arenas in the marketplace. And so it's not lost on us that you have the most famous arena in the world, Madison Square Garden, you have the Barclays Center, you have the Prudential Center, and you have the old Nassau Coliseum. And so the UBS arena took a little bit of time for us to make sure that we were analyzing it and seeing the demand the right way, which is on Long Island and its surrounding communities, there are 10 million people that will be closer to coming to the UBS arena than any of the other three fairly new arenas in the marketplace. And in addition to that, the New York Islanders need a home. They, they, for whatever reason, the renovation of the Nassau Coliseum didn't solve the problems for the Islanders. So the Islanders played their games at Barclays. Barclays was not built for hockey. That did not work out well. The new Nassau Coliseum really isn't new, so it didn't solve the problem. So we, one, began to analyze the 10 million people that will be closer to this arena and go to music events and cultural events and sporting events in a easier way to get to and from than the other buildings in the marketplace. And two, UBS Arena now solves the problem by giving the Islanders a permanent home after, and this is amazing to think about, not only have they gone 30 years trying to find a solution, they're the only team today in the National Hockey League without a permanent home. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a major step forward. It's a difficult step because, one, competitive marketplace. Two, the little virus that we have going on. Three, the little recession that comes from the little virus. And four, we privately financed it. So we didn't use a dollar of the taxpayers' monies to subsidize this building. How hard was that? Because you're not using taxpayer money. It's all private money. How hard was that to come up with the capital for this? So uh, my wife would tell me I'm a miserable uh, person to be sleeping with because I have no sleep at night. But we, again, times at times six, because we're building a private building in Seattle, uh, the new Climate Pledge Arena for the Seattle Kraken. We're building a new arena in Austin, Texas, with the University of Texas and Live Nation. That's private. So this is a model we religiously stuck to, which is a theory that, um, and, and I, I believed in this when we were building Staples Center in Los Angeles at my old company, AG. Taxpayers should be ultimately spending their money on um, license and safety and education and transportation. And arenas and stadiums, you got to figure out a way to privatize them, which is why the UBS naming rights deal was so critical to us is to find a like-minded company also headquartered in New York and also devoted to trying to build a world-class and, by the way, most expensive arena built in all of New York and do it privately without having to go back to the taxpayers and ask for a handout. So not easy to do, but we, we built the most successful arena built in the last probably 25 years, Staples Center privately. We built the O2 in London privately, and now it's one of the busiest arenas in the world. So I do think this model works. I do think it's the right priority, especially today with all of the challenges we have to state, city, and municipal budgets. And because of naming rights and sponsorship and suites and club seats, you you can build a model that ultimately gets a healthy rate of return. And so it can be done. It, it, we seem to be the only ones out there doing it at this moment, but we're doing six and looking for another six. And we do believe not only does the model work, but we're beginning to lock in those contractually obligated income streams like naming rights and doing it in a very progressive way. So I think there's like-minded companies like Amazon in Seattle and UBS in New York. And I think they see this as a great branding opportunity and a great opportunity to partner with us. You can do it, but it's not easy. Tim, 9-11 changed the way airports were reconfigured. Will COVID-19 alter the construction of this UBS arena, um, even even though I know it's uh, I've seen pictures of it, it's going up right now. Will there be things that were not on the original drawing plan, on the original blueprints because of COVID? Yes. So, and it's a it's a great question. Probably the question that we spend most of our time on lately. So, what you have to do here is you have to make sure you distinguish between the temporary virus issues and a change in lifestyle compared to long-term issues that we now need to address. We believe, and again, I'm not a scientist, so we're we're talking to, and more importantly, and this is the key word, listening to scientists and, and medical personnel. And what they're teaching us is the virus will probably never completely go away, but we'll be able to contain it. We'll be able to treat it. We'll be able to trace it. We'll be able to ultimately have a vaccine that will cure it, but there will always be a segment of it out there. And so we we are more focused on long-term because we open up next fall. 
And the long term is just simple new technology. So, for example, Amazon Go is a fantastic technology. So the ability for a customer to grab and go and never go to a point of purchase or a cash register or have to interact with another employee, fantastic technology. And by the way, great for health and wellness. Air circulation, we're spending a lot of time with uh, ME Engineering on how we handle air circulation because in a enclosed arena, the trick is not social distancing. No disrespect to social distancing. The trick is that it's airborne. And when it gets airborne, it gets in a system. And if you don't have a constant clean air circulation within that bowl, then the chances of people getting contaminated are greater within an arena compared to a stadium. Sanitization suddenly becomes the next important item for us. So not only do we have to clean the building and have a janitorial service, but that janitorial service, in our case, Jana King, has been working with us on how do we do a second cleansing every night that's the sanitization. Thinking about how to have fewer lines, getting people in and out of restrooms quicker. I think there's a lot of new technology that people are thinking about that will make it healthier. Most of all, just like we did with LED and the, the, the gold standard on how we build these things to help the environment, we now have created a wellness standard with the Wellness Institute so that we are certified at meeting minimum standards. So when people walk into our arenas, they'll see that seal of approval and know that we've hit those standards to protect their wellness and their health coming into the building. But we also won't get caught up in thinking that we're going to be social distancing a year from now because social distancing is a temporary measure. Mm-hmm. And economically, sports and music couldn't exist with social distancing long term. That, that doesn't work. Nor do I think we need social distancing a year from now, hopefully. Tim, you know, it's interesting. Earlier in the conversation, we were talking about all the different things that are going to change, maybe temporarily, others more permanently when it comes to arena arenas, I should say. And that plural is what's most interesting to me. As you said, you've got six of these going on. What are the consistent things and what are maybe some of the unique things? And, and maybe when you think about UBS, what's unique to this New York market? So each and every building and each and every market is a bit unique as to the way we go about designing and then operating and booking. So in the case of the the UBS arena, the, the, the first point that is important is transportation. So what we added to the commitment in our partnership with the governor and the state of New York, because that ultimately is our, they're the landowner. And so we signed a 49-year lease with the governor and, for the record, found him to be very focused and and good to, to deal with. In that particular lease and in that particular location, transportation is a hot button. So unless you're willing to drive, there was really no other way to get to the UBS arena. So as part of our agreement with the state, we agreed to help underwrite the first new Long Island Railroad station in 50 years in New York. And it'll be at Elmont, right next to the Belmont Racetrack and the new UBS Arena. So we we had to add in transportation features that make it fairly unique. But we also had to design it in a unique way so that it fits into the history and tradition of the Belmont and the Belmont Racetrack campus. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a design and a facade that has a lot of bricks. It really has a feel of being uh, more geared towards a 
1920-1930 building like the Empire State Building. So it, there's a history and a tradition that really directed us on the way we saw that building. And Scott Malkin, the owner of the Islanders and our partner on the arena, was really driven at honoring that history and tradition. So that's different than, say, Seattle and the Climate Pledge Arena, where we actually kept the historic roof because it was from 1962 and the World's Fair. That World's Fair was dramatic within our community in our country because it was the one that got us back into space and technology. And interestingly enough, Bill Gates and, and Paul Allen occasionally talk about the influence of that World's Fair as to their career path and what they became interested in. Interesting. And so each and every building always has a different element and a different design and a different operational standard that has to be built directly for those buildings. But there's some things we do share. So we're very big on 5G. We have a 5G partner that will do all of our campuses for all of our buildings in the U.S. And we think that by wiring a campus, not just a building, it changes the way our customers interact with us, our customers park, so reserve parking, pre-reserve food, direction on what entrance to come and go from, waiting lines and which restrooms have the shortest lines. The, the, the ability to take 5G and incorporate it in all three of our big buildings in the U.S. and change customer habits and make the experience a much more pleasant experience is something we're sharing across all three. Well, I can tell you another way that 5G is going to be very important to a guy like me, and I know everybody in the audience is thinking, like, this guy is just a gambling fool, but it is true. <laughs> and when you're there and you're in the arena and you're watching the Islanders, in-game betting has become huge when you're when you're doing this online uh, or, or wherever you're going to try to do it. Uh, can you expand more on that and what this would mean for people trying to uh, gamble online eventually one day when New York decides, hey, we're going to get into it. Yeah, so uh, good point. And again, we've kind of taken an attitude of we may not be in that particular business or own that particular platform, but for our customers, and Islander customers in particular, or Kraken customers uh, in Seattle, um, we know that that may be something that's very important to them, and it adds to the experience now, and it gets them an, an a activation that they haven't had in the past. So our goal and our job is to make sure connectivity is our highest priority. So nothing drives people crazier than going into a big bowl or a big stadium, and they can't get Wi-Fi DOS signals. So we've spent a lot of time with our soon-to-be-named telecom partner, and they are – possessed like I am on, and I know this really sounds bizarre, but believe it or not, antenna systems and arenas traditionally are located underneath seats in arenas. So if you just logically think about, well, wait a minute, so that antenna signal is traveling through the seat, traveling through the person sitting on the seat, and it's going down to up. And yet, if you think about a typical arena experience, the lights are up high, the scoreboard's up high, the air handling system's up high, the life safety systems are up high. Why aren't our antennas up high where they're unobstructed as to the signal? So 
our engineers were challenged and we said, our job is not to go create every platform that people ultimately want to jump into in order to have a better experience once they come into the bolt. Our job is to make sure we can connect them. So figure that out. So they are working religiously on how we create a better antenna system to get 100% connection to that consumer in the bolt so you could tap into whatever you want and we don't have a disruption or a wait. And that's what 5G offers us is, good news is, far more capability and capacity. Bad news is we got to have bigger, better antennas, and we're working on that now. Here's your chance for breaking news, Tim. Any chance you could uh, give us a little hint to who the telecommunication partner may be? <laughs> you can just not, not, if I wanna, not, not if I want to keep them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's breaking news. It's breaking news. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, we, we spent a lot of time learning, and I, I'm, a, I'm not a tech geek, so I, it, it took me longer than most. And what we were most focused on is, they all claim that they're leading the world in 5G. Uh, we got past that, and what we found is the people we ended up to uh, up with as a partner, they are tech geeks. And so they are very – it's funny. I mention antenna, and an hour later, they get done telling me about new research on antennas. And that's what you – you know, that's the world we're going to live in now, which is you don't want to go sit in an arena and not be able to get a signal. Tim – I got to ask you, you know, sort of in this era that we're living in now, and I know it's temporary, but you have this incredible background of working across all sorts of live events, not just sports. Tell us about the entertainment industry right now. And I'm thinking of your time, obviously, at AEG and elsewhere. What are we going to do for entertainment going forward? How is the world beyond sports going to change when you think about the next normal? So uh, we spend a lot of time dealing with that today. I, I remember back at AEG, I always thought one of the real strengths of our company, and a lot of credit to Phil Anschutz, the owner, is when we hit these moments, and we hit a few of these back then. So we had 9-11, and, and I think for a fair amount of time after 9-11, we were not convinced the world would return to normal. Um, we had the, the Great Recession in 08, and that was right when we were building and opening the largest hotel in downtown Los Angeles, the, JD, the JW Marriott Ritz. And those were moments where you kind of take a step back and go, should I be doing this? Um, should we at Oakview Group be spending $4 billion privately to build arenas in Milan, Manchester, New York, Austin, uh, in Palm Springs, and in Seattle. I think you have to have an attitude of, of being a visionary over 10 or 20 years and not the moment. You have to acknowledge the moment. You have to accept the moment's going to change things. By the way, the moment has scared a lot of people off. Mm. So we we don't have a lot of competitors. Now, that either means that competitors are much smarter than I am, and two years from now they'll be saying, well, we don't have to compete against them anymore because they were wrong. Or our bet is right, which is this is going to fine-tune the industry. It's going to make the industry better as we try to survive this current moment where we're all locked down. And it's going to have a huge impact on those that didn't have the resources 
or the depth to survive this. And so we're going to come out of this. We're going to come out better. It's, it, I think if you look at history, so if you look at the Spanish flu and that epidemic, what came out of that lockdown in two years' worth of terrible misery, and by the way, World War I, is the Roaring Twenties. And suddenly, going out, lifestyle, entertainment, music, culture, sports, it had one of its greatest decades during that period of time. I think there will be pent-up demand. I think we will get past the health issues, and we have the smartest, best minds in the world that are going to figure this out and put the virus in a box, and we're going to be able to learn to live with this virus like we have every other virus. I think we will have to make changes. I think we will have to be better. But I think overall, music and sports are going to come roaring back because we as a community need to come together and celebrate. That is an inherent part of our makeup as human beings. And I'm betting on that. Our company's betting on that. We've bet on good markets. Uh, I was in Milan in February, right when the virus was hitting there, and it really knocked that city and that community for a loop. But this arena we're building there is going to be the Olympic venue for the 2026 Winter Olympics. And I would guess that the 2026 Winter Olympics will be more important and a greater event than what we've been dealing with, for example, next year in Japan. Mm. I think the building in New York, there's 10 million people that live in Long Island. And so UBS Arena, I think, is the sweet spot and the one unserved market in all of New York. And I think we've hit it right. So I, you got to have guts. you got to have vision. you got to listen to people. And I, we've been listening to a lot of smart people from – the Gates Foundation, to our task force that we created. And they've gotten us comfortable that we still have pain. We still have discipline we're going to have to find. We, we still have to learn how to wear masks. But we're going to come out of this, and by next year, music, sports, and live entertainment will come back. And when it comes back, we'll make changes to be better, and people will come roaring back for the experience because of the pent-up demand that we are building. One thing I believe you guys are in are carbon zero arenas. Now, old knucklehead bar is thinking, okay, carbon zero, that means, okay, cleaner fuel and cars uh, emitting less. But when you have an arena, in my mind, well, it's just sitting there. So can you explain to me a carbon <laughs> zero arena? So it uh, it. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on if you're solving the problem or trying to, to ultimately get ahead of the problem, it does involve the cars and the transportation and the trucks. So in Seattle, and I really give a lot of the credit here to Amazon and Jeff Bezos, he really wanted to do something spectacular. There is no carbon-neutral arena anywhere in the world. But in order to get there, we had to get rid of the gas and go to all electricity. Well, we had already put in the gas lines for the building. So we had to go back and pull them out and build in some new electrical uh, stations and lines and juice. So we, we've had to learn how to cook with just electricity and no gas. No arena's ever done that before. We do have to think about the trucks for the concerts. So we have a green fee that we ask the artists to buy carbon credits to be able to neutralize the carbon that their trucks utilize coming and going from the arena. So we do think about that. 
we are not building, we're only building 465 new parking spaces next to the arena. That's it. We're thinking about light rail. We went and bought the monorail in partnership with the current owners in Seattle to get people to use the monorail. So we started thinking about electric stations, electric cars, mass rail, light rail, monorail, and we we absolutely do account for every trip count of every car that goes into every event in our building and how we offset that by doing things like solar panels, carbon credits. Uh, we're even looking at eliminating all single-use plastic in the building within the first two years because that's one of the greatest pieces of uh, – of what is affecting our earth and hurting our earth. And so our, our goal there was set a new standard for the industry, prove that you can do it, um, think outside the box on how not only we operate, but we offset transportation to and from our events. And then hopefully the rest of the industry will now follow us and it'll set a precedent on how we as a generation can now try to heal our planet. Tim, let me ask you about uh, some of the adjacent facilities to the UBS Arena down in New York. Um, I've been to Staples a uh, uh, number of times when there's been an NBA final and the place is bumping, and I've been there when there's been no event inside Staples Center, and this place is still bumping outside with all the restaurants, uh, the hotel, I think the JW Marriott. It's very, very close to it, if I if I recall. Um, all the places to eat. Um, do you have similar plans for UBS? I know up here, I'm a Boston guy. When when Robert Kraft built uh, Gillette Stadium, all of a sudden uh, he's got restaurants and hotels, a hospital, and all kinds of uh, retail stores going, uh, surrounding uh, Gillette Stadium. So it's it's a seven day a week uh, destination, not just a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So um, you you have hit upon what I think is the great opportunity at Belmont. So if you look at New York City and Nassau County, and, and we're in both, so we're right on the line. So some of what we're building is in the city, and some of what we're building, for example, the arena, is in Nassau County. Where the vision eventually will lead to, and this is really Scott Malkin, my partner, that's leading the charge on this, he's really the best developer of high-end retail in the industry. He's built some of the highest-grossing per-square-foot retail centers in the world and i he has a vision on what he wants to create here uh we would like a hotel to be part of the campus because obviously people travel to come see concerts and islander hockey games including the teams uh gary bettman has indicated a desire to give us hopefully both an all-star game and a nhl draft and that means you have to have an active campus what we have that gives us Look, campuses in LA Live was a great example. It's just math. How many people are going to walk in and around my campus to drive my businesses? And does that help guide me to the vision I want to create? We have the racetrack and the Belmont Stakes. We have the arena and we have the retail. If you combine those three, this is a campus that will have well over 10 million people a year that will come and go. That then creates economics and demand for restaurants and bars and nightlife. And it gives us the ability to have a massive economic impact on the community. And by the way, all private. So the arena alone is a $25 billion economic impact over 49 years. But more importantly, because it's 400 acres of land, we have the ability of creating a point of destination 
that's hard to do in New York because the Garden and Barclays Center were built around railroad stations, and so it can find what they can and cannot do. We don't have those restrictions. So if we do this right, and I think Scott Malkin's one of the best developers I've ever seen, I think appointed destination retail, appointed destination hotel, and the ability to create a campus in that part of the world. Again, 10 million people live in and around this arena, and it's closer to get to this arena than it will be the other arenas in the marketplace. If we do it right, this is a $5 billion dream one day. Wow. Well, we're looking forward for so many reasons to taking in uh, a hockey game there at the newly named UBS Arena. It's opening next fall. Our thanks. Thank you so much, uh, Oakview Group CEO Tim Lewicki. Uh Good luck to you in all your travels and all your development. You are one of the busiest people I think we've ever talked to and uh, one of the most ambitious in many ways. So good luck. Thank you. And by the way, if you come to the arena next year and I'm serving hot dogs, it probably didn't go so well for me. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Thank you so much. I'll still be serving hot dogs. I like serving hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, I have to say, even reading in on this, I had a sense of the ambition that this guy has, but He's looking to change the world in many ways, Mike Lynch. Absolutely. Uh, my takeaway from this is that uh, the question I asked him about 9-11 changed the way we travel through airports, and will this change the way you're constructing? He said, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of things they have to think about, uh, technology, air cleaning. Don't worry, Michael Barr, I'm not going to take away the, uh, the thing that I know you want to talk about. <laughs> um Concessions. Uh, he's gonna. They're gonna go with this. The model of Amazon Go. Yeah. We're never gonna have to stand in line and wait for uh, to Tim to put a hot dog in a bun for us and stand in a line and, and, and check out. You're gonna be able to grab a soda or water and a hot dog or a slice of pizza and Amazon Go is gonna track you and just to to, to delete it or debit it from your account. Uh, I thought that was uh, my my takeaway. Yeah, the debits from Michael Barr's account, uh, I mean the credits, sorry, the credits, the credits, I meant credits, uh, are all going to be 5G enabled apparently, Barr. My G, I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> no, you know what, when when New York gets on the, the online bandwagon for inline betting, that is going to be huge. Because uh, he's right, uh, with 5G going there, nothing is more insane. Look, forget about the betting part, but let's just say you want to just send out a tweet to somebody, hey, I'm, I'm at the uh, the new arena and I'm watching the Islanders and you can't get a signal. And that is is just hair pulling. So kudos to them for making it uh, a 5G unit. I have to say the one thing that really stuck with me too, and he mentioned it a couple times and I'm glad he did, was just the sheer amount of people who are in proximity to that new arena in Long Island. 10 million people closer to there than they are to the other arenas because, as he said at the very top, this is a crowded market. We know that uh, here in the tri-state area, but we also know that there are some rabid fans out there on the island of Long. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do, and I think uh, Lynchy, I I loved the comparison you made to Staples Center because you're exactly right. Right. I mean, downtown L.A. was not, to use your term, bumping for a long time. And now you go to a, a Lakers game. I went to a couple when 
basketball was actually being played this past season. And uh, it's incredible what's going on out there. If they could replicate any sense of that uh, out by Belmont, that'll really be something. Absolutely. It, 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 and again, it's, it's a destination on, yeah. on, on a non, non-game, a non-concert night. Uh, you say, hey, let's go down to Staples Center. Let's go to uh, you know, uh, someplace here and let's uh, get something to eat and drink and just walk around. And, uh, and it's festive and it's happening. And, and when there's an event, you know, it really amps up. Yeah, absolutely. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right, the number of the week. Here yeah. we go. Act like you like it. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to set the story up, and you got to guess the number. Oh, boy. Uh, this is a shout-out to New Orleans Saint quarterback, Drew Brees and his wife, Brittany Brees, they are donating money to support Louisiana health care centers all throughout the state, which is a noble thing. My question to you, and play along out there, audience, how much money are the Breezes donating? Oh, boy. Okay. So it's got to be in the millions because that's how I think these, you know, high rollers roll. I'm going to say three and a half million. Mr. Lynch. I'm going to go with the uh, the n- number of the television station I work at, which is uh, WCVB-TV Channel 5. I'm going with five million. Wow. Man, you just won double showcases, Mike. <laughs> it's, it's she a... is really good at this, and it makes me mad. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> wow, you hit that on the head, man. $5 million well dollar donation. Uh, Drew Brees, he said, COVID-19 changed nearly everything, and as we work through one of the greatest challenges of our lifetimes, our health and wellness has never been more important. So to Drew Brees and his wife, kudos that that's a nice bundle of money to to give back to the state of louisiana absolutely i mean he is such an icon down there and you know so well known for really putting the team and really the entire city on his back uh winning that super bowl championship after hurricane katrina so he has seen that city suffer uh so as you say kudos to him you've been listening to bloomberg business of sports we're here each and every week at the same time plus online wherever you get your podcasts catch those when they drop mondays wednesdays and thursdays i'm jason kelly find me on twitter at jason kelly news and i'm mike lynch you can find me at lynchy wcbb and i'm michael barr on twitter at big bar sports you're listening to bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio around the world